Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Way with Jamila Jamil, a podcast that really just has no time for shame. I hope you're well. I'm okay. I am, I'm, I'm sort of left a bit shook from uh, the podcast today. I've interviewed Tyler Henry, who, if you don't know, is a world-renowned medium, as in someone who connects the living to the... I don't know, like the unliving, the, the, the people who've passed over. Um, and that is not something I've ever really believed in much, partially because I'm just really afraid because I saw the sixth sense when I was way too young and I really just don't want to believe it's real. So I, I think that that's added to my skepticism, but, um, I did watch Tyler's documentary and it did you know, it was one of a few things that has made me start to question whether or not I'm just being ignorant and denying the possibility of the existence of something that has of an ability that has existed allegedly throughout history. And so I asked Tyler to come onto this podcast to explain what he does, how he does it, how it makes him feel, how it alters his life, what he's learned from doing it. And then I also, <laughs> it's it's deep and shallow, this interview, guys, because I'm me, you know? And so I did have some stupid, embarrassing questions, but I believe they're the questions that we all want to know about if there is spirits, what are they watching us do? What aren't they watching us do? Okay, so I go there with Tyler and it was a very friendly, lovely chat. He's amazingly normal and grounded for someone who has such a ridiculous life. He's been famous since such a young age because of his ability. And and it was just it was just bonkers to talk to someone who just so casually talks about things that I cannot even fathom. But I found it super interesting and and whether or not you're a believer, there's so much that's thought-provoking in this episode that I'm just dying to, I mean, dying is worried, there's no pun intended, but I'm really excited to hear what you have to say afterwards. Do you think it's bullshit? Do you think it's true? Do you have similar experiences? Do Has this episode made you think differently about the way that you are currently living your life? It's definitely made me just check myself a little bit as to how I'm living mine. I am um, straight after saying goodbye to Tyler, I went and immediately uh, started booking a holiday for me and my boyfriend, uh, which I never do because I just put everything off for work and and Tyler gave me this kind of sense of urgency in making sure that I enjoy life while I have it. And, and I'm someone who often talks about life being a privilege and also, you know, that was a 
there are a lot of themes of the good place that I guess we kind of explore also in this episode, you know, a show about the afterlife and someone who, who says that he can communicate with people in the afterlife. It's fucking bonkers. It's real. It's just, it's almost too much for the mind to comprehend, but it's a lovely chat. It's a lovely episode. He's such a soothing person, which one wouldn't expect from someone who can see something that would scare the fucking shit out of all of us. Um, so have a little listen, have a think, have a tea, and then message me because I really want to know how you feel because I'm not even totally sure how I feel, but I'm so glad I had this conversation. What a fascinating human being. So I highly recommend his his new show. It's on Netflix. It's called Life After Death. It's an amazing watch. And I think you should buy his book and and find him online. He has a waiting list of 300,000 people. So there has to be something to this extraordinary young man. This is Tyler Henry. Henry, what a wild card for this podcast. Welcome to I Way. How are you? Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so thankful you asked. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm I'm so excited and curious to have you. I uh, I must confess, I have not been a, a believer for the longest time, and and your work has been part of what has made it's like existentially shaken me to the core. Thank you. And. And now I, uh, and now I'm just, I, I just want to pick your brain about a million things, as I'm sure everyone does, which oh. must be so exhausting. My first question is, how are you? You know what? Thank you for asking that. I'm doing good. I feel really thankful with the whirlwind that has been the last couple months. I had the Netflix show come out. I had a book, um, and it's been a lot. You know how it is with you know when things are really hot professionally. Sometimes you got to kind of do extra work to compensate personally. So I definitely have been uh, just trying to take it one day at a time. Do you find that because you are in a sort of service industry in that you spend so much time taking care of others or passing on important messages to others that people don't often wonder enough about how you're doing? Because so many people, because of the, this like extraordinary gift you have or skill you have, so many people can't help but see you and want to know like how you could maybe get them a message or help them in some way. Sure. Yeah, what I do is definitely something where I think everybody can have something to gain in one way or another. And uh, it does put me in a lot of unique positions socially. I have a very tight friend circle. I don't really let a lot of people in, uh, in part for that reason. Um, I'm sure you can relate to the feeling of sometimes kind of being only equated to, you know, your job or your role. And we are so much more than what we have to offer professionally. So uh, navigating that and keeping people in my life that, you know, treat me as Tyler the human being versus Tyler the medium is really essential. Yeah, I think that's really important. I um I have a friend who has a similar ability to you and I watch him have to navigate the fact that it is hard to know who is really your friend or who is really interested in just getting to know the actual you. Um, and I wonder how it is that you, I mean, you're obviously an incredibly intuitive person, but how do you manage that? How do yeah. you manage that feeling? Because it's a bit of a heartbreaker 
sometimes. It, it can be. Yeah. You know, I would say I liken my job to that of like a dentist. And if you're at a party and you came up to a dentist and was like, oh, can you take a look at this tooth? You know, I might need mm-hmm. a pull. It's a very similar thing. Um, I have to show, you know, a lot of grace on some level when I go out in public and I'm at the supermarket, people will sometimes recognize me. And they often will come up to me and share with me what the show meant to them. And often they'll kind of explain to me some of their own loss that they've gone through. And so you deal with a lot of intensity of emotion. People just kind of burst into tears crying sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have to honor that and honor where they're at in in that place and try to leave them better than I find them, even in those interactions. So, um, you know, it's just a a lot of patience and a loss an understanding. I I view it as um, really a, a sign of validation that people respond so strongly to it. So I, I view it as a positive. Yeah, 100%. And I do want to get into the kind of mental health aspect of what something like this would do, especially the isolation of there being so few people who can do what you do. Obviously, you know, you and I both reside in LA where there's a lot of people who claim to be able to do what you do. Absolutely. And I'm sure some of them are real. Sure. But some of those some of those neon signs have bullshitters behind them. Absolutely. And uh and so I imagine it must be quite isolating. I can we just get into how it all started just for anyone because I mean I imagine there are so many skeptics I'm sure you've met so many skeptics and people who've tried to maybe test you etc would you explain the first time you realized you had a special gift that was different to everyone else's absolutely so for one I I consider what I do to be an ability in the sense that it's a capacity I have something that started when I was 10 years old and in April of 2006 I was 10 and I woke up one night and I just had this knowingness that my grandmother was going to die. And at the time I called it a knowingness because it just felt like almost like a memory that had already happened, but it hadn't. And it was really confusing. And so I went into the room to try to explain this to my mom, this kind of sense of urgency. And as I was describing it to her, we were interrupted by her phone ringing. And as she picked up her phone, it was my dad on the other end. And he was there to give her the news that my grandmother had just died in front of him. So that was really the catalyst. It was an immediate validation of that feeling. But at 10 years old, you don't really recognize that as an ability. It's really just something that kind of happens. And I didn't give it much thought. I mean, how did your family react? So my mom just kind of wrapped it up to, oh, you know, Tyler was close with his grandmother. Maybe there was some spiritual bond there. He clearly, you know, had some knowingness that she was going to die. My dad actually didn't tell until I was 16. And I had to kind of come out of the psychic closet. Uh, I graduated high school very early uh, with the goal of trying to become a hospice nurse. And while I was in school to become a hospice nurse, I was doing readings through word of mouth. But in order to do that, I had to get permission from my dad because I lived in a small town. And so I had to kind of come out in that way. And it was quite an experience. Hold on a second. Okay, so <laughs> 10 years old is the first time. I mean, it's very, it's giving sixth sense. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, and uh, 10 years old is the first time. And then do you not have any more visions until 16? So I had a number of visions between that time, but between 10 and 13, it was kind of figuring it out, right? At 10 years old, we're just trying to figure out who the heck we are. We're just stepping into our identity. Mm-hmm. As if puberty isn't hard enough, uh, you know, yeah. I had that whole other element. I'm still so. trying to figure out who I am. Exactly. Little bit, yeah. <laughs> and, oh, I feel you and I both. And And so, you know, that was really a self-discovery process. I'd get little moments of knowingness around students and around teachers and eventually had the courage to share those with very interesting results. Was it ever scary? 
it was more scary as far as the living. Uh, the living is scarier to me than to de the departed in the sense that I dealt with, you know, cruelty and division. And I grew up in a very conservative Christian community. So um, some people thought what I do or did was a gift. Other people, you know, felt like it was the devil. And, you know, dealing with having to have a prayer circle done for my soul as a, as a kid, that actually oh, fucking I, Wow. I, a, a friend I had shared, you know, this very personal thing about went and told her mom. And her mom recognized this in her belief system as, you know, the devil. And I ended up hearing through word of mouth that a whole group of adults were praying over, uh, you know, the soul of a child. And uh, that was uh, quite a blow when I was trying to still develop who I was and come to terms with that and be confident with that. Yeah. Also, I imagine sexuality comes into it when you live in a very uh, religious place. Yes. Are you religious yourself? I'm not religious. But I'm very spiritual. You know, I view, I view religion as kind of a cultural language uh, with a higher power. We're very heavily dependent often on where we're born, where we grow up, the beliefs of our parents, that kind of thing. And so school was hard because of, I mean, I had a really rough time at school because yeah. I was very different. Um, not, not in the same way that you are. Uh, but I, I can appreciate that must have been extremely isolating, especially when you're going through so much and yeah. you already feel like there's no one you can really fully explain what you're seeing to. Because I, I mean, how old were you the first time you met someone else who could genuinely do what you can do? You know, it's hard to say genuinely. I met people who had definitely strong intuitions and there is a difference. You know, we all have an intuition, inner intuition. We all get first impressions. Some people are a little bit more connected than others. But it wasn't until I was much older where I met John Edward, who was a very famous medium, uh, that I finally was able to connect with somebody who could really relate. But if there's anything for the viewers that I could kind of emphasize, I'll say those early years really taught me that my in interests were indications of my calling. And so for all of you out there who are listening, if you really think on what that means, your interests are indications of your calling. That sentiment really changed my life and gave me the courage to kind of lean in and recognize mm -hmm. that and, and pursue those interests because that's really what makes us different. Yeah. I mean, my first interest really was Keanu Reeves and I've got, <laughs> I've got a boyfriend, so I'm not is really he, supposed to. Is he calling him. us back? I don't know if he's, he's isn't it? <laughs> I am. Listen, I am in an animated movie with him that's coming out later in the year. We're going to meet at the red carpet. Congratulations. <laughs> Who fucking knows? So Time call, right now. Right? There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. just indicated your calling. I love it. <laughs> Um, so how old are you when you met this person who could do exactly what you do? Because I mean, there is, you're, you wouldn't call yourself a psychic. You would call yourself a medium. You're not someone who's predicting the future or, um, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's people who read tarot. There are all sorts sure. of people. I don't even know if you believe in what yeah. they can do. Um, but you're a medium. It's tricky. Yes. Cause I am a medium and I am a clairvoyant medium. Clairvoyant is a French word. It means clear sight. And it just refers to the means of which someone gets intuitive impressions, typically through very strong imagery. Um, sometimes it'll feel like a waking daydream. Sometimes it'll feel like kind of a memory that isn't my own. But clairvoyance is the mechanism that I receive intuitive information through. Um, being a medium, that is somebody who acts as kind of a conduit in the middle um, or between two things. And that role is one where I have to use my intuition to deliver messages uh, about people that have passed. So it's all kind of interrelated. But there are technical differences. Were you were you worried that it could be a severe mental illness when you were little and you didn't really, you know, if you're saying you didn't really come out of the the medium closet until you were 16, there's a six-year gap in which you're having all these visions and 
and hearing these things that you can't completely understand. If anything, I think the responses I got from people indicated to me that I was working with something that was valid. I would get mm, shocked. Great. I would get people bursting into tears. I would get people running away from me. Uh, there was an instance when I was in middle school where I was washing my hands in the school bathroom and I heard the door open from behind me. I turned around and saw my childhood bully coming into the bathroom with all of his friends. And I realized, okay, I'm probably about to get beaten up. They had watched me go in there. They blocked the door. And I turned around and the weirdest thing happened. I looked at him in the eye and these words left my mouth. I said, your aunt knows that you were crying with your dad last night and you need to leave me alone. And I just said that to him and it just left <gasps> my mouth and tears welled in this kid's eyes. His friends looked at him. He looked at them. He rushed out of the bathroom because his aunt had indeed passed away a few days prior. But the night before he was crying with his dad, having a very emotional moment. And so when that came through, it was so jolting and he never bullied me again, but uh, it was an experience that really showed the effect that these readings could have. There was no doubt in my mind as to what I could do. It just uh, dealt with a lot of divisiveness around it. It's a, it's a fuck of a job, I have to say, like as amazing as it is. I watched your whole documentary. I loved it. It's kept me company while I'm in Germany and, uh, and I've been uh, religiously watching it and really just, it's been blowing my mind. But um, it's such a huge thing to take on. And it's something that obviously, you know, you've benefited from and you have a wonderful life and access to all these amazing experiences, etc. But it's... It's so relentless and you don't have full control. I know you say you can kind of dial it down a little bit, but you don't have full control of like being sort of invaded by this. Was there a, was there a kind of, I don't know, like a fork in the road where you're deciding if I, like, I, I, I don't think I want to do this. I don't think I want to live my life this way. Was there a choice? Was the fact that you're driven by like, you know, you wanted to work, work in a hospice, you want to like help sure. people and et cetera, soothe people. Was there a choice where you were like, what, this is, this is going to be bad? <laughs> I think life seems to kind of be a series of choices and really a matter of kind of divine timing. I found in my case, uh, timing was everything. I graduated high school early. I enrolled in community college. I was taking the classes to try to get into hospice. But meanwhile, I had people through word of mouth who had heard about me, who were showing up to my front door. They were leaving notes. They were giving notes to my mom. Um, so there was a, a huge demand and I had to ultimately kind of satiate that. I had to deal with that in some way. So I felt like I was able to ultimately achieve through readings what I wanted to achieve with hospice, just in a different way. I always knew I had this ability. I knew I wanted to share it. I just didn't know that life would take me, you know, in such a kind of a public way. And the adjustments with that, as I'm sure you can relate to, are, are hugely mm. uh, effective, how it affects one's mental health being in the public eye. You know, I always say you can be the biggest, juiciest peach and there are still going to be people out there who hate peaches. And it's true. <laughs> and so I, tell I, me, tell me more about that. Elaborate on that. Like yes. what has your experience? You were so young. So we kind young. of came up, we kind of came up around the same time, but there's a huge age gap between us. I think I'm 10 years older than you. And so I, I remember the first time I kind of saw you on television. What has your experience of fame been like? You know, it's been interesting because what I do is so different than an actor or a singer in the sense that it is ideological. So kind of like, you know, religion and politics, those are things that are kind of idea based. And 
and being in a spiritual job, it is ideological. And with that comes a lot of divisiveness, people who are always going to fall on both sides of the aisle. And anything ideological, that's just kind of what you have to expect to deal with. So on my end, you know, in some ways I've dealt with, uh, you know, overwhelming support and other ways I've dealt with overwhelming criticism and, you know, getting the show when I was just a teenager, it was so surreal. As a teenager, you don't even know who you are. So when you are looking out into the world and the world's trying to tell you what to believe about yourself, both positive and negative, I, I don't know if you can speak to this, but you have to be really self-aware. You have to be very grounded in who you are and knowing what you are in order to navigate that. Because it's a lot, you know, it's a lot being thrown at you. Yeah, I mean, it's taken me it's taken me a, a long time and also probably meds to be able to fully come to terms with it. Because yeah. it's also, you know, we are an increasingly vocal and uh, desensitized and cruel world when we're online sure. um what kind of I, I never knew that you were getting any kind of pushback what kind of pushback were you getting was it just from people who also thought you were the devil did people think you were a charlatan sure yeah you deal with kind of the fun uh, both ends of the spectrum and i mean fun in a very not fun way you know you deal with religious extremism and then anti-religious extremism people who you know are extremely atheist who be viewed as a threat to their beliefs or lack of beliefs. Um, so, you know, you deal with it all, but I, I really like to be able to contribute to the discourse, to the conversation. I'm okay with, with people not believing in me. I have a lot of people who do. And I think that for those, you know, in life, we can only kind of uh, try to help the people we can help, the people who are in our tribe. And at the end of the day, that's that's all we can do. So I feel, yeah, I feel very similarly. There are some people who I, I'm very, very divisive. It's, it's a, a no, no one is just okay with me. People either like me or hate me and there's nothing in the middle. Um, and, and I, I've just made a kind of decision to not try to win over those who, who have made up their mind otherwise or who've settled on an idea of me. Right. So that's their own projection. That's their own responsibility. And, and I'm here for the people like the people who listen to this podcast who, who do care. And I want to interact with them because we're probably more like minded. Exactly. Absolutely. And going back to the peach analogy, right? It's like, you got to find your people who like peaches. <laughs> you're, you're so like sweet and personable and kind and like even tempered. Now that also might just be editing. Uh, Thank you. How, how do you, how do you master that? Do you, have you had to kind of learn a level of kind of self control because you became famous so young, like to, to be, to emanate so much sunshine Oh. is part of that kind of learned you know what i mean like because it's it's fucking it's fucking hard and it's exhausting you Thank, know yeah it, it is i will say part of it is innate like i'm somebody who even as a teenager i would go and i would check out at stores and the cashier would would, would literally on more than one occasion say why are you smiling i mean i i really <laughs> live life with a smile on my face so i think that gives a sense of ease to people um in reality you know i'm just kind of a, a smiley person i have my own anxieties and fears and things but i generally uh, am pretty just upbeat chemically i guess i got lucky in that way can i ask do you have therapy you know not as much as i should not as much as i should and we actually share something in common around ocd um mm -hmm. that being you know a huge huge uh, source of difficulty i think for people who deal with intrusive thoughts distinguishing between an intrusive thought and intuition can be really challenging and i as somebody who deals with ocd have to navigate that dichotomy in every reading uh, being able to tell the difference can I, can I ask how your OCD manifests or is yeah. that personal? Typically personal? through intrusive thoughts. So mine is kind of more purely obsessional in the sense that I don't necessarily wash my hands uh, or have rituals or compulsions. Um, it's really more so just rumination and kind of um, intrusive thoughts about oneself, about the world, 
And as somebody who has to connect to truth and the essence of truth in a reading, I have to make sure that doesn't kind of muddy the waters uh, consciously. How do you do? How do you do that? I've learned how to tell the difference between intuition and an intrusive thought. And I'll tell you this: I think intuition kind of gets this reputation as being a gut feeling. I think more often than not, intuition is actually a knowing um, that sometimes we then will have feelings about. So. For example, like if you have, let's say you had a boyfriend and the boyfriend ended up being gay, you know, 10 years ago, and you're in the dating pool and you're looking for boyfriends and you meet a guy and you get a gut feeling that he might be gay. (laughs) Most likely that's not intuition. Most likely that's an intrusive thought because it's tapping into a previous trauma. It's coming through Mm -hmm. as, oh God, oh, that feeling of shakiness, that feeling of, oh no, this is hitting something sensitive. This is a soft spot. Those strangely enough are very rarely intuitive. Um, Those are very often more kind of trauma responses. True intuition will usually come through a little bit more agnostic. It'll come through as just a knowingness. It'll be something you can't shake. If you've ever shook, shook someone's hand and you're like, oh, I just can't shake that icky feeling. And it kind of sits with you as you're conversing with them. It's kind of a similar thing. It's, it's rooted in knowingness. Yeah, I also believe that like human beings must have a higher level of intuition than we know purely just from the way that animals behave, the, the, you know, their response to natural disasters or things that are going to happen like the it's it's beyond just their hearing or their senses. Like I believe genuinely that they are able to tap into something, an instinct that we all have that is just being kind of piled on top of with social media, news, uh, constant chaos. Like we don't have still lives anymore. We don't meditate. If we do, it might be at best for 20 minutes. Like we live a life of chaos where we're just being kind of fully, like further and further pulled away from ourselves. Totally. And so I, I always wondered like, you know, whether or not this perhaps like people like yourself were maybe more common in a slower, more simple time. I imagine you must have to like tune out from the world quite a lot. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, I, and to your to your point, I do think people were probably a lot more in, intuitive, interconnected in a time when we weren't so distracted. And that really is kind of the key. Now we have the beeps and the buzzes of our phones. Even when we're meditating, we're using an app. Um, we just live in such crazy, overstimulating times. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. 
Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta. Because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Now I've got one very hard-hitting journalistic question to start off with. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hit me with it. First of all, are we calling them ghosts or spirits? Just so I can be respectful. Uh, spirits. Spirits. Okay, spirits. fine. Yeah, spirits. Good question. Spirits. Okay. Yeah. Are they watching us when, you know, we wank? So I don't think that they see the point. And the reason being is I believe when we die, we process our humanity. We realize right. that nothing human is foreign to us. It's a famous Maya Angelou quote. Nothing yeah. human is born to us. I really believe we realize that when we pass. So the hangups, the judgment, the criticism that we might carry throughout life, I just believe it kind of gets processed on the other side. Their priority list is not watching you shower. But is is that just your wishful thinking or your like kind of common sense? Do you do, how can you know? Well, there was a time I did a reading. I did a reading on Hollywood Medium where that actually got referred to. I said, your grandmother is showing me that she appeared to you while you were in an act of intimacy. And indeed, he about shit the bed because while oh my he God, was that's doing so fucked up. an intimate act, he happened to see his grandmother at the doorway. Um, and he joked about it. It was like a ha ha funny thing. Obviously, something I could have never known or guessed. Um, but that substantiated that she was connected. It was more of a ha-ha funny moment, not so much a, oh, I'm you know watching you. So uh, clearly they're aware, but they don't seem to really prioritize it. Right. Okay, fine. I just wanted to get that out of the way. <laughs> you have some interesting that... watching you shower at your current location. Yeah, so. yeah. It's just like, I just like, I can't imagine anything worse. I really can't imagine anything worse than like a great grandmother watching you have a wank or a per- like really any of it. It's just, it's too much. It's too much. Okay. It's everything human, you know, we're all human. Yeah. <laughs> so, so spirits yes. do, I mean, the, I saw so many different versions of people from the afterlife through your show, Life After Death on Netflix, where you have, uh, I mean, one of the most moving ones was, uh, was a, a girl who had died very young, but who'd kind of somehow matured to the age that she would be. She was, she wasn't still a five, a five year old, you know, now in the kind, kind of current present day, it had been kind of 10 years or so since uh, she died and she was now able to get her driver's license. And you were talking to the family about the fact that, you know, she's kind of developed alongside her siblings, even though she's not here anymore. Sure. Um, so did, I can't, what, what is the afterlife like? 
Do you know that? Have you been able to like get a, gain a kind of sense of that? It's a huge question. Now, to be yeah. clear with like, for example, that reading was really emotional. You had a, a young one that had, had passed away, a child, and in mm. communicating, there was the reference of her being the age that she would be to get the driver's license. And so mm. I took that more as a sign, not that she was literally that age on the other side, but that she was aware right. of the passage of time uh, in her family's life. Which brings me to a really good point. Time doesn't seem to exist on the other side. My belief is that when we pass, we go through a process. And although I certainly do not have all the answers and I certainly will never claim to, my belief from what I've seen is that there's an experiential process of introspection. And this is something every single one of us will go through. This introspective process I call a life review, where when people die, they see the ripple effect of how their actions and inactions affected the whole collective. And that gives people an understanding that in life, they were like a drop of water. And when they transition, when they die, they become part of a vast ocean of consciousness and kind of interconnected in ways that we would never able to be to fully be aware of in this, this capacity. So that understanding lends acceptance ultimately about how they lived, how they died, what they did, what they didn't do. And that acceptance leads to peace on the other side. So that's kind of concisely how I would word it. It's a process. It's experiential. It doesn't seem to be a physical place in, in the way that you and I know it. No, for sure. And I mean, I made a, an entire comedy called The Good Place you yes. know, for four years, which Naturally. is like very, very much so about, I think that's also part of like why I'm kind of drawn to you, yes. you know, is that we were just going off the top of our heads, you know, as to what could possibly be there and what people think and how they evaluate. And the whole show sure. was about evaluation, was wow. about second chances. Right. And so... And it was about a point system, you know, and, and it was about whether or not you want to come back to earth. Yeah. And so I think, you know, there are so many historical questions and so many religious questions about, you know, once you do die, is there such thing as reincarnation? Do people come back? At what point can they come? I know I'm throwing like truly the biggest questions in the universe no. at you, but this is your sort of day to day. And I, of course, no, who I, the I, fuck else can I ask? <laughs> I, I appreciate it. And uh, you'll have to forgive me for my butchering of certain explanations because they are really, of really heavy things. But I will say reincarnation, I certainly believe in. The thing is, is I don't necessarily believe that time is linear. So successively, we think of today, tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, right? When yeah. we think of reincarnation, we think of I'm alive, I die, and then I'm reborn. I don't think of it as being that straightforward. It's not a linear process. My belief is that the soul is multifaceted, that it may exist in more than one place at once. It may transcend the past, present, and future. It's something that's really connected in ways that are kind of mind-boggling for us to grasp. So uh, while I do believe in reincarnation, I also have the essence of people come through. Um, consciousness might just be complicated. It, it might be multifaceted, and we could, in essence, exist in two ways in, 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 at one time, in theory. <laughs> and so when you kind of help someone come to peace or help someone move on or help someone deliver a message that maybe they couldn't move on because they hadn't delivered that message yet. Do you know what happens to that person? Do they just carry on and they continue being there for, you know, and guiding and looking over their loved ones or do they move on elsewhere? So Carl Jung called this process in life individuation. And I don't know if you're familiar with individuation, yeah. but it's so fascinating. Uh, from That was a lie. That was a lie. I said, yeah, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Go so on. individuation, <laughs> Carl Jung was one of the leading forefathers of psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. He believed that uh, life was really a process of combining your conscious and your unconscious and being a fully self-realized person. Um, my belief is that that's kind of what happens when we die. 
we become more of ourselves. We become more aware in, in ways that we aren't able to fully when we're here. So uh, that seems to, to basically their acceptance, their peace isn't reliant on them getting a message across. They don't need me. Um, if anything, it helps the person I'm sitting in front of. So I believe that we all ultimately reunite. We all ultimately connect. Uh, if anything, readings are really just uh, pre predominantly helpful for the person sitting in front of me. And I'm sure it lends some closure for the person coming through, but it's more for the living than the departed. Right. And I mean, this is why you have a waiting list of over 300,000 people. That's right. And the amount of dead people is probably in the, probably more than that. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, so from what I could see from the show, like you'd be on your way somewhere or even it would be the night before or the morning of, and whoever you were going to give a reading for, sometimes the person who was meant for them would come through early. Yes. So does that just happen everywhere you go? It happens a I lot. Don't it happens a lot. It's actually one of the harder parts of my job when I'll just be going, like, I have an appointment later today that I have to go for a housing, a real estate thing. And I'm going to have to consciously kind of try to not read the guy who I know I'm going to be meeting there, the homeowner. Um, so, like, I have to take all these kind of steps and measures to try to kind of anticipate impressions and then go to lengths to distract myself. What do you mean? Is it like you're going to buy a house and so you want to not read the person that you're... So you're getting the exclusive, but I just I, I just went to escrow with the house and it'll be closing here very soon. And I'm going later on to meet the former homeowner. We're going to do a little walkthrough. Oh, and I see. His dad's passed, so hopefully nothing comes in. But if it does, Gosh. I have to then make the decision, do I share that or do I not? And that's an interesting position as a medium. I mean, that, does that just happen with every single encounter you have? So you go a, to the doctor and it a, can... A lot of them, yes. I've read my dentist. I've read my dental hygienist. Um... Yeah, there's there's been a number of times where that's happened. My friends were like, I wonder if something's going to come through for you. And I was like, I highly doubt it. I've never been close to my family. Like they really like, I feel like we just mutually don't want anything to do with each other, which is always nice. And hopefully a nice break for you. Right. Like, it's, I, it's good. We're, we're making our family in the here and the now, right? Oh yeah, about. totally. Yeah. I live yeah. with a, I live with a bunch of my best friends. And so that That's thankfully amazing. none of them are coming to you unless it's in your DMs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're um, all with us. <laughs> you sort of, you sort of mentioned earlier that like, you know, kind of a lot of the petty thoughts or the fearful thoughts kind of dissipate once you've kind of passed over and you've had this chance to evaluate your life. <laughs> Is that all the time or have you ever, because I wondered this a lot because so many of the messages that you were delivering onto other people in your documentary and in your show on E were so thoughtful and reassuring and kind and like very measured. Uh, even people who died in really like devastating ways or ways in which like their life was taken from them too soon at the hands of someone else, like, like awful deaths. Um, do you ever like have to, f are there ever like petty spirits who have something like rude to say they're still hanging on to something and you're like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to, that's not a helpful thing to pass on. I'm going to filter that out. So, you know, I liken my job to that of a mailman in the sense that I don't write the letter. I just deliver the message. So I yeah. owe it to both the spirit coming through and the person I'm reading to deliver it as I'm getting it. However, there is some degree of interpretation and I have to be cognizant of the person's feelings that I'm reading. So very often, you know, while I have a sunny disposition, I do have to talk about difficult things. On mm. the readings, I've talked about alcoholism, family trauma. Um, with my reading with Alan Thicke, I talked about a heart problem that he later died of. Um, you know, I've had to cover a lot of really heavy things, but I do it in a way that is jovial, lighthearted, but, but also, you know, when something's serious, I do try to iterate it um, and make it clear. You know, I don't believe the future's set in stone. So I think there's a lot there as far as malleability goes. 
Um, and my goal is just to kind of be helpful in, in, in any way that I can. You're talking about free will, right? That That's things right. aren't predestined. And yes. yeah, and I, I think it's really fascinating when people within your kind of line of work or existence uh, do believe in and prescribe, because I think a lot of people's understanding of people with psychic abilities or psychics, which I, again, mm-hmm. I know that you're not specifically, that's a huge umbrella, but they think that they think that everything is going to go one particular way and there's a kind of forecast for your life. I think that's why a lot of people fear intuitive people because they don't want to know. Sure. You know, they're afraid of finding out. And and I very much so more of the belief that we do have free will and we can alter and we can be given information and choose what to do with said information. Definitely. I personally don't even get readings done, which kind of surprises people. I'm somebody who, even though I don't believe the future set in stone, I still don't even want to know my trajectories. Uh, you know, I'm happy just with life unfolding as it does. And for those who need, though, to, to kind of get a sense of assurance or maybe validation that they are on a path that you know, they can, they can find success and it can be hugely affirmative. Yeah, I'm definitely, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about it. I want to know more about it, but I, I can't, I can't fully grasp how I could possibly feel about something so huge and something so, again, as I said earlier, like existential and philosophical, there's so much to this. It is. Um, It's huge. It has a huge physical toll on you, this line of work. Why is that? What What is happening? Like there is this, I mean, I can't obviously like unequivocally say that this, you know, you had a collapsed lung that almost killed you. You've had issues with your health. Um, a lot of the people I know within the kind of realm of your work, the people that I've met all have like severe health problems sure. that they attribute potentially to how massive and draining this work is. Do you, do you drain? Do you, do you find this work draining? Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's invigorating logically in the sense of being able to leave people better than you find them and provide relief. But from a physiological perspective, it is very draining. I always say that my sixth sense uses the other five senses to come through. So I don't see dead people walking around, but I might get a very strong mental image or I might hear like a song stuck in my head, except it's a memory. Um, Sometimes I'll get physical sensations that correspond with how the person died. And my job as the interpreter is to kind of take all that sensory input and make sense of it in a way that can be validated. Um, But it's very immersive, very physical, very draining. And um, I kind of liken it to almost being like a canvas and the spirits kind of paint the picture. And so my body is that canvas. They are conveying their messages, their lives, their deaths, all on this kind of portrait that I embody through the duration of an hour. And what is happening to your body through all of this? It's typically getting immersed in a number of sensory inputs. So sometimes it's predominantly physical. I've learned to gauge nuance. So if I'm sitting with somebody and I keep getting a lot of emotive or emotional-based information, I can usually infer that the person coming through might have dealt with emotional struggles before they passed. Um, Equally, sometimes I'll just get pain. And and that's my way of knowing, okay, this was quick. Uh, It was pretty physical. There was no real emotional component. So you just kind of learn to interpret and and navigate. And at this point, I've done thousands of readings. So you kind of learn to notice patterns. Is it safe to keep doing this? I don't know. I've had my brain scanned at the Peak Brain Institute uh, by Dr. Hill and Dr. Drew here in, in LA. And, you know, they hooked me up to a brain scan. They monitored my brain and did it during a reading. And they found that as I would get into the state, my brain almost kind of went to sleep. Um, They were looking at each other and they could not figure out how I was still conscious because my brainwave activity as I was scribbling was that of somebody who was dreaming. So who knows the long-term effects on health? Right. 
Does your mum, who you're very close to, who is extremely charming in your oh, show. Thank you. <laughs> and and it's almost like especially the the mild moments of like irritation or mum and son between the two of you like make the show for me. Thank uh, you. I really, I really, I'm glad I really, out of it. I no, I really, I like it's well, it must be so fucking hard to to love a family member so much and then also work with them every day right. and have them be there so close. It must be such a mixed bag of so such a relief that someone who understands you better than anyone else ever possibly could, Absolutely. but also. Like cares about you too much to the point where you're like, I'm fucking yeah. 26. Fuck oh, yeah. she knows <laughs> yeah. how to press the buttons too. Absolutely. She knows how to be helpful. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's great. I'm, I'm lucky to have that kind of relationship, but working with your family is certainly unique. Yeah, but does she worry? She does. Oh yeah. I mean, my poor mother has seen me go through brain surgery, lung surgery. When I was 18 years old, we were driving down in the, in, in the car and I looked at her and I said, mom, I think my brain's swelling. And she looked at me and she was like, you're so silly. Like whatever. Three weeks later, I was hospitalized with hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain, because I had a brain cyst in my, near my brain stem that was causing brain swelling. So she's learned to kind of listen when I, when I say something. <laughs> and how did you know that your brain was swelling? I just knew, just like how I looked at the kid, you know, when I was, I was young with the bully situation. I, there were a number of, of moments where in my life, I just either said things, things just kind of came out of my mouth, or I just knew, you know, that something was the case. Because I know that you're saying that you can't really like people very rarely come to you about you. Right. That's not something. And that's that's something I've heard quite a few people who are intuitive say that like they can't, you know, whatever. There's the usual uh, cliche of like, well, then I would, you know, I would be able to play the lottery numbers, etc. So did someone come through for you in that moment? I believe and so. Let you know. I believe so. I think in, in my intuition, it's really like life or death situations seem to trigger it. Um, but I will say a, a big reason why psychics can't read themselves or mediums is very often because of bias. Um, we all have biases about our lives, what we hope, what we fear, what we want, what we don't want. And that bias can really impede intuitive thinking. It's why I prefer to read total strangers, people I have no horse in the race for, um, people who I don't really have an emotional connection to, because then I can be unbiased in what I get and what I think about what I get versus, you know, the, the alternative. I don't want to spoil anything, but I mean, one of the more riveting parts of your documentary series on Netflix um, is the fact that you are solving a huge mystery for your mother yes. throughout yes. the entire series. And again, you can't really read for like, it's so hard for you to connect to anything that would help her. I mean, I, ca- I cannot imagine how frustrating that must be to have this gift where you can help other people in such specific nuanced ways and you cannot get basic information yeah. about this huge thing that involves your own lineage Yes, that you just can't connect. It was too close to home, you know, quite literally. That's so, that's so wild to me. So none of the people who came through, I mean, obviously your grandmother, I guess, maybe that was a, your grandmother coming through again. You said it was a life and death situation. The only thing I ever had that was kind of similar to that was when I was nine years old, my uncle died in my arms, Wow, which was extremely intense. Like he, I was holding him um, as he passed away. And then he, uh, my mother screamed and then his heart started beating again. And then it, flatlined again. I was holding him this whole time and seeing that. And I hadn't been especially close to him before then. And then off. And yet for some reason, I think in that moment must've just really bonded us because about, um, maybe about five days later, I was fast asleep and I dreamt that he came and sat by my bed and he talked me through 
the funeral and then he showed me exactly what it was going to look like. I'd never been to a funeral. I was nine years old. And he told me everything that was going to happen and that my my mother was going to need. And I woke up extremely like freaked out uh, by that, but also not not super freaked out. I'd seen a lot of horror movies by this point in my life, unfortunately, because of like uh, uh, reckless parenting um, <laughs> and, a, and an older brother who just would let me watch anything he was watching. So I was very afraid of the idea of ghosts or spirits. Um, but I went to the funeral that day and I I saw everything and like wow. I knew where everything was I knew my way to the grave right. I could see every like he'd come and shown me everything everything my mother everything he said my mother was going to need she did need wow and that was there and you know I think I don't know I don't I'll never understand what that was but I know that it definitely um scared me rather than reassured me and then I was like never again la 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 and then i've just like put my foot like just been on my phone 13 hours a day doing anything i can to distance myself from uh, my intuition because that scared the shit out of me yeah. is there a there there is a lot of kind of talk over um you know the course of the last couple of decades that children can sometimes be more intuitive intuitive and connective is that true absolutely i think children are relentlessly honest they'll tell you what they feel whether you want to hear it or not and with that comes honoring their truth, honoring where they're at in their lives. Um, children really don't have a filter. But the interesting thing that happens is as children kind of start getting around puberty age, they start losing their intuition. Um, many of us can relate to that feeling of, oh, we were very psychic as children, then we got a little older, and then those things kind of quit happening. Um, I believe that the framework of beliefs that we establish really does kind of act as a filter that we see reality through. And so as we get older, we hear things like, oh, it's all in your head. It's just your imagination. Uh, it's an imaginary friend. All of those things end up kind of shutting down often a lot of kind of genuine intuitive experiences that kids are having to the point where they no longer have them, um, in part because they're expecting not to. So you really had to hold on to yours. Yes. And, and my inner child. I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm very <laughs> childish, <laughs> but I've had to hold on to that. I, I think it's integral to who I am and also what I do in, in never letting that part of me die. I, I mean, I feel the same way and I have nothing to do with what you do. Uh, I'm desperately clinging on to my child self because I really believe that we're perfect when we're children. Yes. We don't have racial bias. We don't have bias against people with disabilities. We don't have bias against ourselves, against yes. our bodies. We're we're so honest about the way that we feel, like when we're hungry, when we're sad, when we're tired, when we need a shit. Like we're, we carry no shame and right. we're so integral. Yes. And that integrity gets kind of like beaten and gaslit and shamed out of us. Absolutely. Almost as soon as we can understand. And so I'm I love that part of you. I like it, I really resonate with it when I when I was watching you and you know, even like briefly when we spoke on the phone. That I I really I really passionately believe I talk about it a lot on this podcast. I passionately believe we should do everything we can to find our way back to who we were before we learn all of this terrifying bullshit <laughs> absolutely all this conditioning right that we have to kind of decondition yeah and and all of these things that have taken us away from our like fundamental animal intuition yes i don't yes. think it has to be this like i think hollywood has kind of turned it into this it's so ironic that hollywood is now the vehicle through which you are able to dispel <laughs> a lot of these myths but hollywood yep. has been responsible for turning this into a very like ethereal yes. scary otherworldly thing that actually just might be much more similar to what we completely readily accept in exactly. mammals. It's just a faculty, in, right? Yeah. 
A hundred, a hundred percent. And so do you think you're going to do this forever or do you reckon you're just going to take a fucking break and just like live with your partner and have uh, fun? In my thirties, I might just move to Bora Bora, call it a day, open up a sheep farm in Bora Bora. That'd be quite a sight. But You'd uh, have to be fucking careful about where you go on holiday, I, wouldn't you? Like I you do. couldn't come here. You'd go, you'd lose your fucking mind. I definitely have to be conscientious of where I go. Yeah. No, do you I, have to look up the history of where you're going and like well, the history of the building? I, I would tell you this. I went to London because a client had me, flew me there and I walked through the hotel door and it was really small and I just about had a panic attack. I stayed in my hotel room the entire trip. I couldn't leave. I probably got like off off with my head like in a past lifetime or something because the UK just like set, sent visceral like fear into me. So uh, I love British people, but the uh, the place was was quite a, a, a cow to deal with. <laughs> that That is fucking petrifying. So it was a kind of like a violent... Yeah, it just scary. had a kind of scary, weird, cold feeling. And so I had to I had to leave. <laughs> Do you leave the hotel? You moved out of the hotel? Well, I, I, I left where I was at. I stayed in the hotel and didn't leave until I got on a plane and went back and, and haven't been back since. <laughs> Fuck me. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Even America, like there's a lot of America that has just got oh, yeah. terif- terrifying history. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt. Everywhere in the, in the world. But some places seem to retain that more. What do you do to block it out? Like, how do you do this? Uh, you must have, you, I have, you must have a mechanism. Certain mechanisms for sure. It kind of, it changes up depending on the day. Uh, if I'm doing a really intense reading and I need to decompress, sometimes I'll put in really loud headphones and I'll blare music. And it's my way of kind of just wiping the slate clean uh, to prepare if I'm going, like, say, at an airport or in a place for me to be interacting with a lot of people, a lot of energy. I will often kind of consciously do visualization exercises, which mm-hmm. for years I scoffed at. I thought, oh, visualization is a bunch of fooey, you know, whatever. But a therapist actually introduced to me the understanding that visualization can have really strong effects on your physiology. And so I'll just kind of do little white light meditations where I put myself in a bubble and all those things kind of help buffer yourself. Can you, can you tell me a bit more about the visualizing? Yeah, being absolutely. A- well, I often you know, find that like if I'm going to be, I think of it this way, I view energy as almost kind of like cigarette smoke. And imagine you know, you're not a smoker, but you walk mm-hmm. into a group of people and they all smoke. When you leave that group, you're going to smell like cigarette smoke, even if you don't smoke. So energy is very similar. When we go into environments, I believe we kind of absorb certain things and kind of take it with us consciously or unconsciously, which is why we have to be very mindful of who we surround ourselves with and where we go. Um, but that, that happens. And it is definitely something to be processed and uh, visualizations, how I seem to kind of let it go. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And to anyone who's listening who, you know, can't wait for 300,000 other people to see you first, uh, who wants to be able to either maybe like... Maybe they've got someone in their house who they 
wouldn't like in their house sure. by that i don't mean a shit flatmate we've right. all had that <laughs> uh i mean i mean uh you know uh whatever an entity or a spirit mm-hmm. what did those people do because i remember you kind of having like a i mean i had to turn like literally close my laptop uh, at that point <laughs> of the episode where you talk about a slightly like it i don't know if i can call it sinister but like didn't sound amazing yeah. Uh, the experience you had alone in your bedroom. Yes. Uh, that definitely like seemed to spook you as well. It did. So, yeah. Uh, that, I mean, I can't stop thinking about that. I'm so fucking angry with you for saying <laughs> it on the TV because I think about it every single night yeah. now. And I'm, I'm angry. <laughs> I haven't had a, like a, a civilized night's sleep since, but, yes. um, but, uh, but that's also because I am like an extraordinary, uh, wuss. Like, I mean, it's beyond Scooby-Doo, beyond anything that could be written into a cartoon. Yes. Um, so what does one do if one is in a room where they feel sure. as though there is an unwanted energy in there? Honestly, asserting yourself is so important. And I think consent is huge, right? When I do reading for someone, I ask them for permission uh, to connect. And I think that in the same kind of vein, we have domain over our presence. And you know, we may not necessarily have control of what other people do or what other spirits do, but I believe that it's important to set those boundaries. If you're feeling like something, something, something is around you, um, assert yourself. Say, you know, this is my house, you can get out. Or crack a joke. Be funny. One of the funniest things I do when I, if I'm having a little bit of a heebie-jeebie moment, I'll just burst into tears, not burst into tears, burst into laughter to the point of near tears. And it tends to kind of help. It allows me to kind of change the mood. You go from anxious to looking like a maniac, laughing at yourself. It works. It's great. Are you saying that you're trying to put the ghost off, not the ghost, the spirit? You're trying to put the spirit off and just be like, oh God, Tell like, oh, a bit much. Yeah, well, gonna, that's, that's, why oh is he God, laughing at himself? He's a bit, he's a bit annoying. Yeah. yeah, no, I genuinely just do bizarre <laughs> stuff like that where I'm just like, oh, okay, all right. Well, it's not creepy anymore because now I've made it ridiculous. Well, we left that out of the fucking reality TV show, we didn't did. we? That would have been... Season two, but... <laughs> I, I start putting peanut butter in fun places, dancing on my legs, and yeah, you just never know. So you can just be like, I mean, what you said to that spirit in that moment was, please, like, please yeah. leave. I do not want you here. Please, right. please leave. And and did they have to leave? No, but they did. I, it kind of, if anything, I think was a way of asserting of kind of saying that, no, this is my headspace. This is my realm. And, you know. So then, so then explain that to me. This is, I'm not in any way trying to challenge you. I'm just trying to understand. So there's a part of, you know, what you're saying about the fact that there are the, the general gist of what happens post-death is this kind of clarification, this moving, like this understanding, this moving into a kind of place where you lack the the sh- the shittier and more like primitive human, parts of human, human nature. Yeah, sure. the fallibility. Yeah. But then how do we explain the off with your head moments or the spirit that won't leave your mm-hmm. room or the, you know, that we read about, there was a hotel that I was going to be put in at work um, and I always Google if a hotel's haunted, which again is like very <laughs> sus for someone who like wasn't a believer, but I always do it. And they put me up, they, they sent me a picture of this hotel they were going to put me up in. And I was like, that looks fucking haunted. I've seen yeah. enough movies to know that like the brown people die in that house. And uh, and then I Googled it and it was a very, very violent um, <sighs> psychiatric institution for wow. like a hundred years right and where they did terrible experiments on the people there and so guests had reported like having their sheets ripped off them and like nothing like harmful happening to them but just like a bit very scary experience seeing things in the mirror like all sorts of things activity um and so how do you explain so so 
did those people not evaluate? Did they choose? Like, is it their free will to to choose not to sure. evolve? Well, I certainly believe in, as we've discussed, free will, but I believe that just as we're all kind of a work in progress in this realm, the same applies to the other side. I don't believe that the life review process is instantaneous. I think that some people kind of reach that end sooner than others, or maybe sooner is not the right word considering time isn't really linear, but we're all kind of at different steps on the stairway. And Mm -hmm. some, you know, are kind of closer to the top. Some are maybe starting off a little lower to the bottom. But I find that there is a distinction also when it comes to hauntings between residual activity, which may just be kind of almost like a different phenomena, almost like something being trapped in time and just kind of repeating. And then you have non-residual activity, which is the idea that you have a sentient spirit, you know, watching you. So I think a lot of hauntings are just residual activity, things being done kind of um, more from a place of trauma, a repetition of, of energy that some people who are intuitive might be able to get a sense of. So you clearly sound very intuitive. You saw this place. It gave you an immediate bad vibe. And you looked into the history and you found information to substantiate. Well, I also might just be a scaredy cat, though. You know what? True. And we have to keep in mind confirmation bias, right? I mean, it, we're all we're going to be right sometimes, but yeah. there is a genuine you know, intuitive pull that I think people get and they just are often afraid of it. But it sounds I mean, like you have Mine, no, 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 no. I disagree. I, th- I think I disagree <laughs> because I, if I even see a thatched roof, I yes. decide. Okay. All right. It's yeah, haunted. No, like, no I've gone, I've gone way too far. Like any kind of um, s- uh, spire, what's it called? Like, you know, where, where oh, any yeah. kind of like pointed yeah. part Victorian, of a house. we're done. Anything Victorian. No chimneys. I, <laughs> someone made a great point once where they were, I think it was online where they were talking about the fact that like, why do so many of the people that when they claim they've seen a ghost, it's always like a Victorian yes. ghost. And it's press. never like, but it's never like an 80s twink say, right. standing over your bed saying it's Britney, bitch. Oh, I've seen a couple of those. My <laughs> Lord, you're just going to the wrong spots. <laughs> I don't even want to know where I can see any of these things. So, okay. So with all of this, with all of this that you take on and everything you've learned, um, something that is so immeasurably valuable about your book is that you've You've chosen to take all of the teachings from these, whether they're trying to actually give you these teachings or not, but you have decided to kind of learn. You've been gifted all this hindsight from these thousands of beings or spirits or people around the world. Would you mind, would you mind, because I think it's so valuable and I think it's a really nice way to end. Yes. Would you mind sharing uh, with my audience what some of those things that you've learned are in order to make this experience on here better. Absolutely. You know, this new book that I wrote was really about hindsight and the power of hindsight. You know, it is really 2020. And in my work, I've seen great value in learning from people's lives and learning from their mistakes. And because of the introspective nature of the life review process, people who've lived, no matter how they lived, get an insight into how their decisions affected others. And that insight is world-changing, perspective-shifting, and we can get a lot from that. This book for me was really about uh, kind of answering the question of if the departed could do it over, what would they do differently? If we had a second shot at life and we could go back and we could fix everything, what would we do? Um, I wanted to write that book because so many of the people that come to me come to me with regret. Even under the best of circumstances when it comes to death, people have regrets. You have situations where someone will be ill for nine months, and we're ready to send them off and then they pass and we still have regret. So it's not, you know, only for those who deal with, with tragic deaths. 
I think this book for me was really about encouraging people to say it in the here and the now, um, to validate our loved ones in the present moment, and to not uh, lose out on those opportunities because we want to live in such a way where we prevent future regret. Uh, I want those who read this book to be able to take something out of it and communicate to their loved ones in such a way in the here and the now that if their loved one, God forbid, died suddenly, they wouldn't need a medium. They would know confidently that they said everything to that loved one that they needed them to know. Um, and just, you know, living as, as mindfully as we possibly can. Is that both the loving things and also the like angry things, Tough things. that you need to uh, get off oh, your yes. chest? I think it's essential that we speak our truth, that we communicate it. How we go about it certainly it can re- require tact and grace, but uh, even sometimes those hard conversations, we, we kick ourselves when we don't have them. Uh, and you never know when you might not get the chance to. So it's, it's important if we can. I mean, I've been getting shit off my chest since I tried to uh, take my life when I was like 26. I've been obsessively getting everything off my chest since then, which is why I think I have no family members around me trying to communicate with you because, no, I've said everything. I've said it all to everyone, alive, dead. I got them all. I got them all before they went. Um, There you go. All the the good and the bad things. And like, I'm very, very, like, I'm very, very uh, obsessed with uh, not living a life of regret, which is why I live such a you know ridiculous and maniacal life. But <laughs> it is uh, it is so important to get things off your chest. And also, we we live in a generation that, because of capitalism, is increasingly pushed to just go for the bullshit materialistic things yeah. or to work or to just impress others. Like we don't. The word selfish has become very like demonized. Yes. Um, and in a way that I per- I don't know how you feel, you might feel differently, but I personally feel is really troubling. Okay. Like, I think we have, we've stopped being self-preservational. We're on this like hustle, this rat race, all leading to just this minority of people's yeah. great, unnecessary hoarded wealth. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so what do you think about like that? What values would you also like to impose upon oh, people from know, what you've learned? We are so much more than what we have to offer professionally. We are so much more than the roles we take on in life. We're so much more than mom or daughter or spouse. Um, and I think, you know, my work has really reflected that truth that we have to honor all parts of who we are more than what we can provide. And I think it's often an insight people who deal with health issues are, are made abundantly clear. Um, because when you're ill, you know, you kind of are stripped of a lot of those things you wear as badges of honor, um, your career, you know, what you can do for others. And it really shows us that we are, you know, really just us. So hopefully we can get to a place of acceptance around that and being more of who we are without having to deal with, you know, something world changing like a, a health problem. Well, the whole premise of I Way is that it's sort of, challenging the way that you look at yourself if you were to look back on yourself on your deathbed and like and even though that is like a more a technically a morbid thing to say that's the that's the way that I've kind of pushed this movement for the last three and a half years is yeah don't look back on your don't look back you're never going to look back in your life and think about your body or your abs or your hips like I hope yeah. like you're going to look back on the meaningful experiences and it's a big part of what I'm trying to because I've missed 20 years of my life I did miss 20 years of my life being anorexic, uh, being self-hating, being my, like taking everything I learned from bullies, internalizing it and becoming better than the bullies at bullying myself. And so as I'm like nearing middle age, 
I am kind of like, you know, obviously I keep, I've been saying that since I was 20, that I'm nearing middle age. <laughs> uh, but as I'm getting into my thirties, et cetera, you know, like I'm really trying to kind of, I can't get back those years, but I can stop all these wonderful young people who listen to me from doing the same. And I would like to know in the format of this podcast as ever, when we ask all of our guests, Tyler, what do you weigh? I weigh the love that I have to give. You weigh the love that you have to give. That's, That's a right. shitload of love. That's right. Absolutely. That's a shitload of love. <laughs> I don't... <sighs> I don't know how you're, I mean, you must have so much. I mean, maybe that's why you, you spoke about like the fact that if you go three weeks without doing a reading or, yeah. or something like that, you, you almost feel like you're going to kind of explode. Absolutely. Is that just, is that just the love? And the, what is that? Like, <laughs> what is that that's coming out? <laughs> it feels like intuitive buildup, but you know, I, I definitely clearly have a role. I, I have this, that's so much more than a job. It's a calling and I just, uh, I clearly have to do it. It's not really been a choice for me. So I'm thankful. And, yeah. And and so you have a you have a small circle, but you have a circle. Do you feel like you are around people who maybe even if they can't, do you have people who can, you know, I know you said that you'd met someone who could do what you do, but do you have other people in your life who can do what you do, who can understand kind of exactly what you're feeling? Not do you so feel much. like that's kind of one do of you the need things. that? You know, I don't even know if I need it. You know, I, I think that's one of those things, right? We all need to feel seen or understood in some capacity, but um, you know, I don't, I don't need somebody, I guess, who, who can relate to everything I go through as long as I have support that's willing to try to understand, right? I mean, do we ever fully understand each other? I don't know. But just that willingness and that love, despite what one goes through, uh, is really important to have that support system. 100%. Yeah. Well, it has been a pleasure to meet you. Oh, um, you oh, did kind of confirm that <laughs> that spirits might be watching us when we're wanking because of it. the you grandma know, situation. I don't know if I love that, but I mean, <laughs> grandma might be, but let me tell you, she doesn't care. Grandma's she doesn't a, care. Yeah, grandma's yeah, yeah. familiar with, with yeah. the ins and the outs, so to speak. That's why you got here. So grandma knows the ins and the outs. All right. Um, but uh, you, yeah, it's just, Thank it's you. so fascinating to get into the mind of someone like yourself and and find out how you cope with this because I spent so much of that documentary watching it just wondering <laughs> how you're still how you're still going um I think it's super impressive and I'm I'm so excited for to see what you do next and I hope that you pace yourself and I hope that you aren't I hope that you never look at this gift as like because you have this profound gift that not many people can do you therefore are obligated to use it constantly. I hope that you do exercise some of the selfishness that I... Thank you. I no, hope for everyone. That self-preservation, that is, yeah. is my takeaway from this conversation and then the importance of it. And you've, you've been amazing and you have such lovely energy and I, I can't wait to talk again. Oh, thank you. Well, so nice to meet you. Thank um, you. It was such a joy. Um, I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. 
We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And now we would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh realizing my childhood abuse did not define me and separating myself from an identity that was never mine. I weigh being a brown queer Pakistani, figuring out his way in life in a world which constantly forces humans into boxes, defines them and cages them. Thank you, Jamila, for everything. You're an angel, the best internet friend one could ask for. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.